women, children, whole families, among hundreds of thousands who have fled the city of Mosul after it was taken over by the Islamist militant group ISIS. We seen them coming with the dust of the, like making a storm of the dust in their car. Long pupil and with their black flag. And then we try run away very quickly, very, very quickly. I saw them on my own house. As you can see here, convoys of ISIS gunmen, well, they swept through Mosul on Tuesday, announcing that they had liberated the city. You're listening to Everyday Emergency, a podcast from Doctors Without Borders. Hello and welcome to Everyday Emergency. I'm Nick Owen from Doctors Without Borders, and today I'll be speaking to Besh, a Kurdish refugee who now lives in the UK. Besh is from a village just outside of Mosul, Iraq's beleaguered second city. In 2014, along with his mother and four brothers, Besh fled his home as it fell into the hands of IS. Like millions of others, they made the journey across Turkey and the Aegean Sea in a bid to reach Europe. But once they made land, tragedy struck the family. Besh and his brothers were separated from their mother in Greece. Today's story is about the lengths he and his brothers went to to find her. I started my journey in August 2015. I was riding my horse and uh, when I came back we were watching TV, a very small TV, and we had a local uh, channels and TVs and we see the ISIS presenting themselves as the Islamic State and they were just in Syria. And then after they became bigger and bigger and bigger and they came to Iraq. In June 2014, rallied by their capture of the western Iraqi city of Fallujah, militants from what was then known as Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant launched an assault on Mosul. The militants took the city and then swept southwards, taking control of much of Nineveh and two other neighbouring provinces in a matter of days. Besh's family, along with half a million others, fled their homes to escape the onslaught. And after they were not stopping in Mosul, they coming to taking more places. That's why when we hear they are already out of Mosul and they coming, we will not believe. And we in our village in Iraq, in the villages, we have a leader. And our leader said we should make something quickly. And we all voted for fighting because we said maybe we can like, not let them come through, but they did. We didn't have enough uh, weapon to fight, and they were all farming, farmers. We have tractors and trucks and uh, cars. We were not able to take them all out or our equipment in the house. So we just tried to stay alive and survive. With IS getting closer by the second, Besh had little time to plan or pack. I was just bringing my guitar. The only thing that I was thinking my guitar. and no clothes, no nothing else. My dad was very angry with me on the situation, why are you bringing your guitar? And uh, because they were closing, they're coming closer and they're shooting. Music is a huge part of Besh's life, so much so that he chose to flee with his guitar rather than a change of clothes. And we're grateful because the atmospheric music you're hearing now and throughout this episode is actually performed and written by Besh.
So Besh and his family are packed into a car, travelling in convoy with no idea where they were heading or how far across the world this journey would eventually take them. I didn't have any idea. Just to find a place. Just to stay together. No planning anything. I was not expecting even to be here. Just go and find a way. With the, I was following people because I was not alone. I was following hundreds and thousands of people. Here's the BBC's Emily Buchanan describing the situation in Mosul back in 2014, around the time Besh and his family fled. Tens of thousands of Kurds, driven from their homes by IS militants. They come with stories of terrible atrocities, of stonings and beheadings. The fear is intense. This woman said, they ransacked all our belongings. We had to flee. This man said the situation is grim. There's no safety for anyone. We have no place to go but Turkey. Oh, it was me, my mom, my brothers, and uh, another family, or a neighbor family, and uh, two uh, like under 18 people who were with us, their fathers, their parents in the other car in front. And even some people of the, not in our village, Nekas village, they couldn't make it because they didn't have a car. They were coming with walk, running. My father's decision was to stay. And we had an argument about this with my father because he was not coming. He thought he should stay as a part of the family to sacrificing or fighting for the country and to take our land back. And that's what he was doing. Without their father joining them, Besh was now effectively the head of the family. Uh, my youngest brother is uh, now 14, and uh, after 15, 18, 20, I just became 27. <laughs> Besh has received little news from back home since he left, and he is uncertain about the fate of his father or any of those left behind. I, uh, I didn't, because how I can now, how I can contact them, but I know the dead. They're not alive. Because just two days ago, they found a grave for a thousand people that ISIS killed them. Babies and old people. The young people, they're using them. After fleeing their village, Besh, along with his mum and brothers, spent more than a year in an Iraqi displacement camp before their journey truly began. On the 31st of August 2015, they crossed the border into Turkey. Since when I was uh, traveled from Iraq to Turkey, as I said, I was following people, and we could go to Istanbul straight away without stopping. And then in Turkey, in Istanbul, we were stuck. We stayed. We go, we went to the, the police station, but uh, we didn't find any help. And then we were waiting to do something to going to somewhere else. Then they said, the borders opened. You can go to German. Then we followed them to the border, four days walking, till arriving to the border of Greece, and they shut the door. They didn't let anyone go. 2,000 people in the line, like in a queue and they shut the door, then they made different groups to crossing illegally. They could 
swimming or small boats, using small boats. That's how we, we crossed the border. With no other choice, Besh and his family made the decision that hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, Syrians and Afghans have made in recent years to cross the Aegean Sea from Turkey to Greece in the hope of finding refuge in Europe. Here's Lindsay Hilson from Channel 4 News describing the treacherous journey in 2016. On the shore, Turkish rescue workers are waiting. This morning, the bodies of those who were not so resilient, including three children, washed up on the beach. Two boats had capsized. 800 perished on this route to Europe last year, but that hasn't deterred the desperate braving freezing water and stormy seas to get to the Greek island of Lesbos. Thankfully, Besh and his family made it across the Aegean with their lives, but they were now in a completely foreign land, lost and disorientated, with no idea where to go. Along with another group of people, the family made their way into the forest above the beach they landed on. We didn't know where we are. We didn't know Greece is Greece or it's where. We're just in the forest and we had some biscuits, water. So 48 people stayed in this place. The others all went. The young people, not the family. The family all stayed with women and things. And then we find a village, but the village was just looking at us. No understanding anything. And you're not talking in Greece language. We stayed three days like this. And we've been afraid. We had a babies from one of the Syrian people, refugees. We were struggling with water and with food. And um, then comes lots of cars and they surrounded us and then they arrested us. This was the moment the family would never forget. It was at this point during their journey, near the city of Orestius, that police separated the group of families they had been travelling with into two vans, one of men and the other of women. Only boys under 14 were allowed to go with the women. Besh's youngest brother, who had just turned 14, was separated from his mum and put into the group of men. We all cried that what will happen, they will, what they will do. But there were no answer. And my mum was crying too. I was crying too. Everybody was crying. The only thing that I said, mom, keep going and we will, maybe we'll see each other in the police station or somewhere in the base that they have. But no, they took my mum from place and they took us to the jail which is a different place. We stayed five days in jail without taking a shower. They just give you food once in the day. And we were asking nobody answer because nobody talking in English or in Arabic, in Turkish, in Persia. After five days, they moved us to a camp, which is called Greece camp in the place called Orestiada. Besh and his brothers were expecting, or at least hoping, that their mother would have also been sent to this camp, given that they were found together. But to their horror, she was not there. And so began their epic journey across 70 different refugee camps to find her. Where she is, I don't know. Who she was, I don't know. She don't have money. She cannot read English and talk and write. She cannot using smartphone. She don't know about technology about map, GPS, anything, location, where she is, the city, is German, is Paris, is... have no idea. All the camp in Greece, I don't know, 30 or 32, 33 camps, searched everywhere. No news. 
and people living in very bad condition in those camps. Some people hold it for six months, and then from Macedonia to Serbia. Very cold in December, disappointed, very sad, not taking a shower for almost 25 days. We were like Neanderthal, not shaving, nothing. Just people who would see us was going away because of our smell and our, our face. And then we stayed one day in Serbia, and then we keep continuing to go to Slovenia, which was we beaten by the police again. And then to Croatia, no come, just changing the train and directly to another country. Then we went to Austria. Three camps for refugees. I searched all the camps. With no luck in Greece, Macedonia, Serbia, Slovenia, Croatia or Austria, the brothers moved on to Germany. Then in German, city by city, Camp by camp, from stadium accommodation, big building and streets to find my mother. Start from Berlin, Frankfurt, Nuremberg, Köln, Frankfurt border from Poland, I don't know all the cities. Still no news from my mom. After German, uh, I keep continuing my journey, my brothers and some other people to Belgium, Brussels. Still no news from my mom. And then I'm, I'm came to, I came to, to France. Even in, the, in Cali, I feel my mom, she's in France. I was feeling that I will find her somehow. At this point in their journey, Besh knew that this really was the boys' last chance to find their mother. It was the only major refugee camp in Europe that they hadn't tried. We tried to keep continuing to fighting, not giving up. But the sad story and the sad moment that I spent, my brothers keep asking, where's my mom? And the only answer I should say, she's, she's alive. She's okay, we're going to see her. But no, because I was, I was not sure she's alive or not. I, I saw that she's dead, somewhere dead. Because as I said, she didn't have no one. She could not talk, not write, and no money. So it's difficult to stay alive. And the only camp that they, I heard, there's Calais. I went to Calais, 9,000 refugees living in this place. Then they said there's another camp. In Dunkirk. British correspondent Julian Drucker describes the scene from Dunkirk for Channel 5 News. Even by the standards of a refugee camp, conditions at Grand Synth are horrendous. It's where the ground resembles an open sewer and life looks more medieval than modern day. Uh, when I um, arrived to Dunkirk and in grandson, actually, the people who was walking with the boots and dirty clothes, I was thinking that maybe they are working, they got an opportunity to have a job or something like that, not thinking that this is the camp situation. And I went to the camp. I first person that I met, it was a, a man working with the MSF. His name is Nicholas. And then uh, I said, how can I go to the camp? And he said to me, just walk. And uh, it was straight away walking inside and turned to left. Almost 2,000 refugees living in this place, in the very moody place. Mood everywhere, very cold, raining. And then I uh, shouting with a uh, very high voice, mentioning my mom's name. Her name is uh, Runak. Runak's meaning light of the of the moon. 
everybody could hear me. Runak, Runak, to recognizing my voice. And then I see the old woman changed very, very a lot, like the shape and the everything close to the fire, like this. And when I was shouting, and she just. There, standing in front of a tiny stove, was Runak, Besh's mother. It turned out, until Cologne, the boys had been just behind her. Runak, frantically searching for her boys, arrived at each camp before them, each time leaving before they arrived. I will never forget that moment, never. She just cried at running to her face. She couldn't even walk. Everybody was crying in this at that time, and she just fell down and she was and she was hugging and kissing everywhere in our faces and Then some volunteers came to see the situation. They took a picture. you have a picture of the day and then they sh- she told me what happened after we were sitting down and eating together, drink together. After having a cup of tea. It's hard to imagine just how overwhelming it must have been for Besh to finally find his mother. And while it would take a lot to dampen the family's happiness at being reunited, the conditions of the camp were enough to make anyone not only miserable, but also ill. What you're about to hear is Besh talking to a journalist in Grand Synth back in January 2016. Three days ago, there's 100 refugees just arrived here, and we don't have any tent for them. But it's also you are running out of space. There are not so many places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of co- actually, there's a place, but it's full of water, so we cannot make a shop, make make a tent of them. Yes. And, uh, you know that tent came for, for for summer camp. It's not for the winter. If you see, there's no wood burner inside. There's nothing, and the blankets came to here. It's so that scene one. It's not that that heavy blankets to the families, even to the babies. Not long after this interview, MSF was granted permission to set up a new camp, only ten minutes away from where three thousand people were stranded at this informal site in Grand Synth. At the time, our executive director Vicky Hawkins said the conditions were some of the worst she had seen in twenty years of humanitarian work across the world. Here's Channel 4 News' Alex Thompson. You film this sort of thing going on all around the world in countries ravaged by war, famine, earthquakes, whatever. But you never, never see this happening right now here in the heart of the EU in Northern Europe. And it's Médecins Sans Frontières, MSF, the global aid group. Not only that, for the first time they're doing it in the heart of Europe and for the first time they're doing the whole thing from scratch. You have to be in a place like this for about one second to understand why the crying need for proper shelter for these people is obvious and to wonder why on earth it's taken so long to begin to organise that and why again that has been left to an NGO more or less acting unilaterally. The United Nations, normal agencies which deal with this sort of stuff around the world are simply not here. I was going to translate or be interpreted with the people who was ill. Because at that time we had the virus and the, the infection from the camp with the rats, dairy and vomiting and flu, headache or fever. So 
the MSF, the conductor there, then I, ha- I should go to there to translate. Then that, in that point, I could be a friend with MSF more and more. And the people respected me because of this job and work that I'm doing. And I'm not getting paid, I'm just doing it as a volunteer. And the volunteers appreciated that with refugee, the people working as a volunteer. The Grand Synth camp opened in early March 2016, providing a new temporary home for 1,500 refugees and migrants. Besh lived in the camp for a year before he and his family managed to get to the UK. Others weren't so lucky and remained in Grand Synth. That is, until the 11th of April this year, when a massive fire broke out and reduced the camp to ashes. So Besh, you're in the UK now. What's next for you? In, uh, in Iraq, I was uh, trying to study to be an doctor because our area needs a doctor. But now, I don't know, I, was, I want to be uh, someone who can serve humanity, so I don't know which part should I study. Law or something like that, I don't know. If there's any humanitarian college, I will go to study there. And how does it feel to know that you may never see your home again? Personally, maybe it's something sad, but in general, we are all human. And uh, anywhere is a home for me. It's not making any difference if I'm living here or anywhere. It's the difference only is how I can be a person that the earth want and the humanity want. In, in, in my village, I was thinking to be an ad- a doctor because we need to help each other. That's how we can keep our life safe. So Iraq, UK, anywhere is a home for human, human being. A thousand years ago, there was no any border. And like Jesus said, this earth, we belong to it. Besh and his family are still waiting to hear from the Home Office about whether their asylum claim is accepted. In the meantime, his brothers are at school studying English and Besh has been playing gigs on a new guitar, given to him halfway through his journey by a Belgian musician. Sometimes the individual stories of refugees can get lost in all the news coverage of the crisis. But hearing Besh's story just shows you what this journey can mean for families torn apart by conflict. We wish Besh, his mother and brothers the best of luck for their new life here in the UK. more true stories from the front line of medical emergencies, subscribe via your podcast provider or visit msf.org.uk slash podcast.